Hello, and welcome to another version of Authentic Biochemistry. I'm Dr. Daniel J. Guerra, and I am your host, as well as the creator of this podcast. I'm coming to you from the Pacific Inland Northwest, and it's a beautiful sunny day. It is the 2nd of October, 2019, as I record. So this discussion today will be a follow-up of what I've been covering in the last few episodes. We're going to be talking about the adipokine leptin. So rather than give you a long introduction of what we've done before, I will assume you've listened to the previous podcasts, the two preceding in particular, and so I'm just going to jump right into it. So leptin basically is an afferent signal, and it's a negative feedback loop that maintains homeostatic control via the adipose tissue, and it links changes in the energy stores of that adipose tissue in humans to the appetite, okay? So the signaling from the leptin receptor, which is called the LEPRB, (coughs) excuse me, is expressed primarily in the brain, and most of leptin's effects on all the other organs are, of course, an indirect consequence via the central nervous system. So leptin regulates not only appetite, it suppresses appetite when it's increased because adipose tissue signals that via the secretion of leptin, which I'll get into in a moment what leptin is. It's basically a protein. Um, But it also regulates lots of other things. It regulates the immune system in, in such a way that key populations of immune cells, both leukocytes and subset lymphocytes, are regulated at the level of gene transcription and therefore activation, deactivation, uh, the nuances of interaction between immune cells and how they traffic within the body and amongst tissues or via intercession into tissues and the entire inflammatory, anti-inflammatory and controlled memory responses in immunity. All of that there is an axis of control via leptin. So like so many things in biochemistry, we discover something because we're looking for it. We discover it, we say, oh, aha, this is the factor that seems to control appetite and it's synthesized in the adipose tissue. And so that's exactly what happened. Uh, Studying mice mutants, there was an OB mutant. And the OB gene was eventually identified. It was cloned, sequenced, identified, and noted to be coding for a protein that was about 14 kilodaltons that was secreted from adipose tissue. And that 14 kilodalton polypeptide circulates in the plasma of normal individuals, not just humans, but all mammals. And its levels are elevated when you have another mutation. And that other mutation is called DB mice. You got OB mice where it was discovered that there was a, a muta- there was a lack of some gene, okay? Uh, and then you have DB mice, which seems to mimic or work as a the other end of the spectrum. So if you have a protein that's being expressed, and you know that protein seems to play a role in this obese mouse model, 
and you know the lack of that protein is linked to obesity, <clears throat> then that's one aspect of it. But then you discover that there are animals where that same protein is elevated, but you also get obesity. So if you're a biochemist, what that tells you is that's a ligand receptor relationship. So the DB mouse turned out to be an animal, a mutant that had, for some reason or other, mutations in the receptor. Okay. So that's, that's basically where we're coming from. So administration of the hormone now called leptin, because it's synthesized in the lipid or adipose tissue. Uh, was found to significantly decrease body weight and adipose tissue mass in the OB mice. So that's basically a, uh, a form of function type of experiment. We think we have isolated the mutation that causes OB mice to be obese. We add back what we have discovered via cloning and purification. And indeed, the more of this compound now called leptin that we added to the obese mice model, which we think is deficient in that gene, indeed they become lean, okay? So there's a decrease in body mass when you add leptin, okay? <clears throat> but adding leptin to the DB animals didn't seem to have any effect. So why would that be? Well, obviously, if the DB mutation is a receptor, it doesn't matter how much of the ligand is being expressed or being introduced, for example, in this experiment, <clears throat> you're still not going to get an effect because you need the receptor for the signaling to be transduced. So in contrast to weight loss after dieting, leptin had no effect on decreasing lean mass. So that's another interesting component. So it looks like once there is a controlling measure in the appetitive axis of dietary intake relative to circulating signaling molecules, leptin doesn't seem to have any modulatory control. In other words, it's not directly associated with a starvation or anorexia. <clears throat> leptin more is a ligand, a protein, when binding to its receptor, defeats the orexigenic response, or that is the induction of the appetite to feed, okay? So leptin levels increase when fat mass increases. So then they started doing more studies, right? And so that means the more fat mass, the more you get a suppression of food intake. So it's like a feedback loop. You have more adipose tissue, make more leptin, it goes into circulation, it goes somewhere to the central nervous system. We know where, we talked about it before. <coughs> uh, the hypothalamus. And when that occurs, the appetite drops. And so it's a signaling from the adipose. We have adequate adipose stores, adequate visceral fat, which is how we're storing carbon against starvation because we have episodic feeding because we're heterotrophic animals. And so that means we're in an autotrophic. We can't synthesize complex organic compounds from inorganic compounds like carbon dioxide, CO2, and ammonia like plants can, of course, lots of other mineral elements. So that means because you're a heterotrope, you go out into nature, you require the um, 
apprehension of foodstuffs with the correct essentials in that foodstuff that maintains not only um, development and differentiation at the early stages of, de- of, of the organism, but also reproductive systems. And also, as it turns out, having adequate carbon stores in the form of lipid is the most efficient way of converting carbon to ATP. And ATP, of course, is the energy currency of the cell, which drives everything else in the system. So the mechanism we're talking about here is really significant because it basically is a homeostatic control by the adipose tissue mass, okay? Not just the adipose tissue sensus stricto, but how much of it is there. And it's a relatively narrow range. So that means it's a tight evolutionary function of leptin binding to its receptor and controlling body mass. <clears throat> because otherwise we had a wide variation, like several log level increases and decreases in leptin. Then you could imagine having larger and larger and more obese and more obese uh, breeding population. And that could even be selected for, because as long as you have enough leptin to stop at some point, some other set point higher up, you might well be able to have animals with a lot more body mass and a lot of that body mass indeed being lipid, you know, that is depot fat, but still being able to maintain, grow, develop, reproduce, and ward off things like infections and parasitic um, invasions. So what this comes through is that leptin is basically a cytokine. The receptor is like a cytokine receptor. So immune cells produce cytokines, epithelial cells produce cytokines. These are bioactive proteins that are secreted that carry out often the cytokines usually are um, their paradigmatic discovery and discussion in scientific literature is that they control the immune response. So a dipokine, right, kind from kinetics, that is, and kinetics meaning movement, right, um, means it's moving from the lip, from the uh, adipose tissue, from the lipid layers in the body to the brain, and then carrying out this control homeostatically over body mass. So that's that's how it gets uh, the association with cytokines, so a dipokine, and also the fact that it binds to receptors, and these receptors. Um, post-binding to the receptor, all the signal transaction pathway, which I've talked about in previous uh, authentic biochemistry and also in the Verifmed video lectures, um, have the same adapter molecules and kinase cascades and phosphatases and acetylation, deacetylation, so all these epigenetic phenomenon that relate to gene expression downstream from leptin binding and also control of metabolism. Okay, so I want you to understand that. So that was ba- that, that's basically what I'm just going to say in terms of uh, overall consequential, what you need to know for us to finish this talk. So <clears throat> there are some key pathophysiological paradoxes of leptin I want to mention now. The absence of leptin in OB mice is associated with many physiological changes, okay? What are those changes? Well, they include hypothermia, infertility. Now, again, remember I talked about reproduction. Immune alterations, I've introduced that. And interestingly, insulin resistance of starvation. Um, and so what does that mean, right? So those are that the, all of those are tremendously large homeostatic measures and axes that control human body movement, human body defense mechanisms, as well as overall how the body relates to 
carbon source. So that's the insulin secretion story, right? <clears throat> so given all that, okay, and the fact that it looks like there's some kind of correlation to natural starvation, it obtains from that information that OB mice, those obese mice, those mice, are obese because their brains interpret low leptin levels as life-threatening, low adipose tissue mass. So, indeed, they're interpreting it as low uh, leptin, even though it's possible that there's adequate leptin. Now, where have we heard this before? It's like the diabetics who have hyperinsulinemia, type 2 diabetics. They produce a lot of insulin from beta cells of the pancreas because the body's homeostatic control over glucose, serum levels of glucose in the uh, as well as glucose uptake and all those tissues that are insulin dependent for glucose uptake are dysregulated. So there's plenty of insulin, but it's not working. What do we call that? That's right, we call that insulin resistance. So we indeed also have leptin resistance, right? So, <clears throat> For that reason, OB mice, while eating voraciously, and they're very, very, very obese, you probably have seen these pictures on the cover of Science back in the 90s, Science Journal, uh, and they show massive increases in, in weight, overall body mass. They manifest a syndrome that is basically distinct from normal obesity. Yeah. So it obtains its sensing low levels of leptin in addition to inducing a state of positive energy balance to restore body mass when uh, adipose tissue levels drop below where it would be adequate to perform because you're heterotrophic and you have episodic feeding cycles, that activates another system, a pathophysiological system, which we call basically adaptive starvation. And that's in response to conserving energy during those long periods of fasting or what you could call, call dietary privation, right? So this is very evolutionarily significant to humans and also to all mammals. But, you know, primarily we're looking at obesity in humans. That's what we're more interested in, obviously, <clears throat> from the biomedical perspective. So consequently, after all this, leptin treatment corrects all of those pathophysiological abnormalities. So it has a very important, significant role. Now, in the case for leptin-mediated adipose homeostasis, increases in leptin levels lead to weight loss by de decreasing food intake and suppressing what's called a compensatory decrease in energy expenditure. That means what can happen, for example, in sedentary lifestyle, right? And that means when that works up, when you get higher levels of leptin and leptin is functioning correctly, you will get a concomitant drop in depot fat given an elevation of leptin concentration that you can measure in the serum, okay? So the weight loss that you get from that is correlated, what is it correlated downstream with? Basically through uh, sympathetic nervous system, leptin working through the hypothalamus, binding to its receptor, the sympathetic nervous system directly working on alpha adrenergic receptors, um, inducing the AMP kinase kinase, so the AMP kinase, the AMP kinase is phosphorylated. When it's phosphorylated, it phosphorylates acetylchloric carboxylase. So when acetylchloric carboxylase is phosphorylated, you don't get the synthesis of malonyl-CoA. That Because acetyl-CoA to malonyl-CoA, that's the first controlling reaction for 
de novo fatty acid synthesis. Okay. So that's really important. So again, look what happens. Leptin working through either the hypothalamus, directly on the receptor, but also via the hypothalamus and the sympathetic nervous system. So both leptin binding to the receptor and then the alpha adrenergic receptor being activated because of the other activating functions in the hypothalamus that leptin induced turns on the amp kinase kinase, which is phosphorylase amp kinase. That enzyme then phosphorylates acetylcarboxylase. And because acetylcarboxylase is phosphorylated, you get a drop in malonyl-CoA. A drop in malonyl-CoA allows for increase in carnitine palmitoyl transferase, one. And then that allows fatty acids to enter in the mitochondria through the inner membrane, you know, after the translocase, then to CPD2. For you biochemists, you know what I'm talking about. And for you who are not biochemists, you still know what I'm talking about because you're listening to authentic biochemistry, right? Anyways, all that leads then, leptin, all this signal transduction cascade finally at the metabolic level, core pathway level, leads to an increase in beta oxidation of fatty acids, which is good because you're burning fat, you see. That's what's happening when leptin levels increase. So that's the other side of the story. That's the adaptive physiological mechanism. <clears throat> so we talked also, I'm going to go very quickly through this. There's leptin resistance in diet-induced obesity models. So most forms of obesity in animals are associated with high endogenous plasma leptin levels and a diminished response or resistance to even adding exogenous hormone. Now, the normal plasma leptin level uh, is about 5 nanogram per milliliter. I talked about this last time. But when you look at diet-induced obese mice, they become hyperleptinemic, and you can get up to 150 nanogram per mil blood. So that's a tremendous increase in leptin. But you get no decrease in obesity, even though you get this huge jack-up in leptin being expressed in the adipose. And so even when you add more leptin on top of what's being uh, naturally overexpressed in the hyperleptinemic state, you have no, it has no pharmacotherapeutic function. So lean animals respond to leptin, just to remind you, by losing weight. Whereas the DIO animals, diet-induced obese animals, they're leptin resistant. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds like insulin resistance in type 2 diabetes. And that's what I'm trying to get at here, okay? So hyperleptinemia is going to cause an overall central and peripheral leptin resistance. You're going to have an increase in food uptake. You're going to have an impaired glucose and lipid metabolic fate in organs like the liver and skeletal muscle and in adipose. And you're going to have an impaired nutrient absorption because of all this high levels of circulating lipid and the lack of dietary control over the functionality of it. So you see, this is really a bad situation. Uh, and so diet-induced obesity, it looks a little bit like, right, what happens in humans. And this is the animal model. So what we said so far, lipid resistance is complex, involves multiple aspects of signaling. It involves things like transport and receptor binding, it can work through the AMP kinase pathway and control beta oxidation of fatty acids. We talked about the PTB1B protein and the SOCS3 protein. Those induction of either of those proteins expressing the leptin receptor contribute to leptin resistance. Now, that PTP, that, that stands for a protein phosphatase, and that SOCS3 is related to the functioning of the leptin receptor downstream in the cytoplasm. Okay, and we talked about this. <clears throat> so 
Mendelian causes of obesity, right, the genetic cause of obesity in humans, are expressed always in the central nervous system. And most of those components are associated with neural circuits, which are, yep, modulated by leptin, but they're very rare. So genetic predisposition to obesity is very rare. So diet-induced obesity does still involve leptin, but it's a totally different pathophysiology, right? Because you get leptin resistance, and that leptin resistance is related to the obesogenic behavior. So as you become more obesogenic, you then kill the signal transduction cascade of leptin. And that's why obese animals or obese humans have a very difficult time losing weight because now you're leptin resistant. So the homeostatic control is gone as well as insulin resistance is also playing a key role. And that leads to other issues with um, pathways for the degradation of glucose and fatty acid, and therefore high levels of circulating lipoproteins, which can lead to atherosclerosis in certain tissues, uh, which can lead to major causes of death like cardiovascular disease and cancer, because cancer also is related to high levels of circulating lipid, because lipid, once it is taken up by peripheral tissues, is a much better carbon source for producing more and more cells. And what is the production of more and more cells? Cell divisions? Right. That's a tumorigenic or predisposition to tumorigenic environment and therefore cancers. Okay. So that's all really important stuff to remember about. That's why that's why we're so interested in it, right? Because leptin seems to play this really significant role all in all levels of pathophysiology as well as normal anesthetic control. So again, just to remind you, the leptin receptor, the way it signals through, the leptin receptor is like cytokine receptor. It has these tyrosines and the tyrosines get phosphorylated. That phosphorylation then helps control the JAK-STAT pathway. Phosphorylated stat then can bind as a transcription factor in the nucleus and can then activate or stimulate uh, gene expression. Okay, so uh, binding of leptin to its receptor leads to the formation of what's called the OBR, the R is the receptor, JAK2 complex. That results in a cross phosphorylation of all those tyrosine residues, and that's crucial for STAT3 activation. That stimulates the SOX3 expression that then, okay, remember I told you it was a negative regulator, negatively shuts down, tamps down, like a rheostat, turned down the rheostat, um, the overall leptid signaling, okay? So that's that's the turnoff mechanism. So protein tyrosine phosphatase 1B, which is PTB1B, is also capable of that same series of reactions which inhibit leptin signaling as it's being turned on. With any hormonal regulation, you always have an induction, a, uh, a complex axial transfer via signal transduction cascades within the cell that's being activated to turn on unique gene expression and changes in metabolism or even going from autophagy to now through the um, mTOR pathway to causing more protein synthesis, that whole uh, set up for cell division, right? The increase in energetics. Um, just like any of those kinds of systems, the leptin receptor works the same way. And in fact, cytokines also work the same way through some of the same players I just mentioned to you. All right. So in leptin-resistant tissue, 
um, serum leptin interacting proteins. I talked about these slips and soluble leptin receptors. So you have two things to think about. You have the regular leptin receptor, then you have a slip, which is a serum leptin interacting protein, and then you have a soluble leptin receptor called an SLR or slur. So slips and slurs, like that, bind circulating adipose-secreted leptin, and they inhibit it, its action. So that's what happens, right? When you get uh, leptin resistance, you get an increase in slips and slurs. Okay, so free leptin engages the long former member of the receptor, that's the OBRB. It normally homodimerizes intracellularly. It activates a JAK2, which phosphorylates tyrosine 1138, right, which is canonical tyrosine residue on the uh, leptin receptor. Signal transduction, translation protein 3, that's the STAT3 binds to its activated tyrosine 1138 via its homology. that's the SH2 homology domain. <clears throat> so you now you've got the OBRB JAK2 complex, which activates STAT3, which I've just told you what that was. That indeed homodimerizes, translocates the nucleus, <clears throat> and modulates gene transcription. Of course, STAT3 upregulates the expression at the same time of the suppressor of cytokine signaling 3. That's the SOX-S3 and the protein tyrosine phosphatase 1B. Remember, these are canonical cytokine mediating suppressors of cytokine control in immune responses. So that's the association with immunity as well. You're using the same players. Isn't that interesting? So the key feature here now to, to remember is that you're utilizing this pathway. And it's thought that central leptin resistance promotes obesity because it drives greater hyperleptinemia. So in non-leptin resistant tissue, like an immune cell, that's a non-leptin resistant tissue, which can the other the, all the other tissue can be leptin resistance. You get when you're exposed to hyperleptinemia, the OBRB may signal excessively through that signaling pathway I just told you about, right? And and the downstream of that, of course, is also the insulin receptor substrate two and the poly, and the phosphatidylinositol three kinase pathway also known as IRS-2P13K. And you also have nitric oxide being regulated here. And that ultimately promotes cardiovascular disease through other yet not described, at least today, tissue-specific mechanisms. So I want you to get the idea here of how terribly integrated and complicated and yet very well understood leptin signals and can cause pathology, okay? really important. Now, that stuff I was just talking about there comes from a JACC paper published way back in 2008, and that's volume 52, page 1201. Uh, I'm sorry, I haven't been. Okay, so one last thing before we stop today. The Journal of Neuroscience, published in 2013, July, uh, volume 33, pages uh, 12647 ongoing. Let me tell you real quickly about what this says. This is a neuroscience paper. Protein tyrosine phosphatase 1B, remember, counteracts lipid signaling and it's a therapeutic target for obesity and diabetes. This paper found that there was a limb domain called MLO4, and that inhibits the PTB1B activity by increasing an oxidized form of that protein. Mice with a neuronal ablation of the limb O4 have elevated then PTB activity, and they have impaired hypothalamic leptin signaling. So you get the idea. So if, if there's our, there are now there are mutations in what control the phosphatase. And if you have mutations that don't control the phosphatase, the phosphatase strips off those phosphates, 
you immediately fail the leptin signaling. So here, this is happening in certain uh, neurophysiological, pathophysiological states. Okay, so we're going to go back into that and talk more about that next time because we're going to finish next time on leptin, uh, this series, this arc of discussions. So all I want to do right now is say, I hope that this was uh, useful to you and educational to you. Um, and we will finish our leptin discussion straight away. This is Dr. Dan Guerra signing off from Authentic Biochemistry. Bye for now. <laughs>